It is awesome to be here this morning with you guys. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Rod Zwimke, lead pastor here. And I made an observation this morning. A lot of us are wearing vests today. And I don't know why you're wearing a vest today, but I can tell you why I'm wearing a vest today. The gravy and stuffing. I'm hiding all that right now. All right. You can't see it. That's why I'm wearing my vest. I want to just uh, tell you, I'm glad to be sharing this last message in this series with you uh, as we've been going through this series called Let's Be Clear. And I want to start with just asking you a simple question. How many of you like going to the doctor? Is there anybody that likes going to the Okay, I didn't think so. Uh, and there's all kinds of different reasons and all kinds of different doctors that we go to. And, and I don't like any of them, but I also don't like the ophthalmologist, the eye doctor. I don't like going to that guy. And, and the reason is, most of all, it's because of that glaucoma test. You know what I'm talking about? The puff of air that hits you and you... You're, you're wondering, what is that testing? Like, how does that work? What, what are we doing here? Like, I think they do it just to torment us is what I really think. But what's worse than the glaucoma test are the questions. When you go to, to, to get your new lens or new contacts and they say, is this one better or is this one better? Uh, I don't know. Do it again. <laughs> is this one better or is this one better? And you feel really bad that you're like, I, I don't know. And they're like, oh, you can hear the sigh, right? <sighs> is this one better <laughs> or is this one better? And, and you don't want to screw it up. You don't want your contacts to be wrong or have the big thick Coke bottle glasses or worst of all, not be able to see. So you want to be really careful that you get it right so that you can see clearly. Is it that we be really clear? really careful about when it comes to the issues of our faith and our eternal security. Because if we think our eyesight, and vision's important, don't get me wrong, eyesight, having good vision, that's really an important thing, but it pales in comparison to our standing before God and having a clean conscience before God and knowing our eternal destination and the condition of our souls. So let's be really clear from, from the scriptures or what God says about having faith. In him. Uh, we've been studying the book of 1 John. We're going to do that today. But I want to take us to a few other verses written also by the Apostle John. John, who wrote the letter, 1 John, also wrote a gospel or an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus called the Gospel of John. And in that, he actually writes at the end of that gospel the reason God inspired him to write that gospel. And he says this in chapter 20 it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. Okay, I could have written a lot of other stuff. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's saying, I, God inspired me to write this for a specific purpose, and that was to present eyewitness evidence to the, to the life of Jesus, that you might be compelled to believe that he is who he said he was, and that he did for you what he said he would do. And by believing, you may have eternal life and life today in his name. That's why the gospel of John was written. And as if John was saying, listen, I saw him. I was an eyewitness, a firsthand account. I saw the miracles that he performed, and you can't tell me that it's othered by the hand of God that these miracles happened right in front of my eyes. I saw the, blame, the lame rise up and the blind see, and I heard the deaf. I saw them be able to hear, and I saw Lazarus rise from the dead, and you can't tell me that wasn't by the hand of God. 
I saw Jesus live a, a perfect, sinless, perfect, a morally excellent life. There was no flaw in him. I witnessed that firsthand. I saw when they killed him and they laid him in a tomb and he was dead in the grave. And I was an eyewitness account to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I saw him after he rose up from the dead. I saw it. It's real. And oh, by the way, if you could say to this to, to us today, so by the way, I don't gain, John would say, I didn't gain anything by believing these things or teaching these things. I saw a lot of my friends actually be killed or, or persecuted for believing these things and teaching these things. I end up in prison for believing these things and teaching these things. And here's his, as simple as it gets in his message in the gospel of John about what it means to have faith in God. And it's this, and you know the verse probably John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What's the message that God compelled John to say? Is that salvation and eternal life and faith in God isn't found in anything else but the gift of God through Jesus alone. That's what he's saying. And I've heard, I, you've heard this, People say that's too easy or that's, that's awfully convenient or, or um, there must be a catch to that. I mean, that just sounds too simple. And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, there's far more people that have heard that verse and have understand the basic tenet of that verse than there are people that actually believe that verse. You've heard it, maybe you've heard it, maybe that's you today, and you've said, I've heard this idea that Jesus Christ is the solution, that Jesus is the one who can bring me in a right relationship with God, but I'm not sure I'm buying it. I'm glad you're here today. John wrote the gospel to convince you it's true. I've heard other people say that it just doesn't add up. How does one guy, one sacrifice, one moment in time make up for all the sin? Does one sacrifice that have been happening throughout all the years and all the evil and all the wrong, how does one sacrifice pay for all that? And so whatever the doubt may be, whether they say it or not, there's millions of people who've heard this verse, understand what God is offering. It's a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, that's a free gift that we can receive from him by faith, and yet they don't receive it. And by not receiving it, it means that they have rejected it. And if they have rejected that offer, that means they are not relying on what God has offered, but by default are putting stock in themselves. Because if you, you reject what Jesus said, or at least put off what he said, or God's offer that Jesus Christ came, that he could, he could reconcile us to our heavenly father, if that's not the solution for you, then what you are left with is some form of being morally excellent enough for God. So I'm going to try to illustrate that. I've got a few boxes here. And so we, we kind of try to build a case to God. We try to, we try to build some evidence for God. We try, to, we try to prove our worth to God. And, and we might start with something like, well, I'm not a person that steals. At least not anything too valuable. Paper clips and post-it notes don't count, right? And I'm not somebody that, I haven't killed anybody yet. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I haven't ever killed. And I love yet. I haven't killed anybody yet. You know, uh, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not like those people. And, and I don't really lie. Don't really lie. 
maybe a white lie, but I don't really lie. And so we say, listen, I'm not one of those people that are really despicable, that are really bad. Or we might say, uh, I, do, I do some things that are good, actually. I, I'm kind of a good citizen. I pay my taxes, and I work hard, and, and I raise a family, and I'm, I'm kind of a productive member of society. And so that's got to count for something that I, would, that I would build upon the flow of society. Person, but I'm also a, a decent citizen. I, I can kind of get along and stay in the flow of society. And then we can go beyond that and say, listen, beyond that, I'm, I'm kind to others. I might even give to charity once in a while. Maybe a lot. I'm active in church. I go to church and, and people see me there and I smile and I greet people and I make sure they, they know that I'm glad to see them. The next level might be even a step further. I, you know what? I volunteer. I, I take time out of my life to serve other people and, and do good things and make sure that they know that I care about them. I would consider myself a good person. I'm building this case to God. I'm not like them, and I'm, I go beyond just being a, a good citizen. I, I'm not just a moral person. I'm actually intentionally trying to help other people with my life. And you might even find me helping the poor. Well, if I'm really hitting my stride. I'll even make sacrifices. I'll give up things that I want. I'll, I'll make sacrifices in my life. I'll do things that take away from what I want to help others. And if we saw that, we'd go, wow, that's a very moral person. That's a, that's a good person. But here's my question. All these, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. These are good things. But my question today is how high does this wall have to go for God to be pleased with your life and how good do you and I have to be in order to obtain a relationship with God? How good is good enough? Does any height reach a height that pleases God? Romans 3.20 says this, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. This is, a, this is a very important verse. You know what it's saying is when God gave us his moral code and he says, I, I don't want you to steal and I don't want you to lie and I don't want you to murder, he, he meant that and he doesn't want us to do that and, and, he, and he wants us to be good to people and he wants us to serve and he wants us to help the poor and he wants us to be these moral beings but none of this was ever intended to build our case for a relationship with God. In fact, he says, when you start to compare your life to the moral code of God and you stack it up to the law of God, you will realize that, that actually you don't stack up. There are times that we lie and there are times that we're not working that hard and there are other times we're not very kind to people. And Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, you've actually committed murder in your heart. And the reality is, is when we take an honest look of our life compared to the, the righteous law of God, it says no one will be declared righteous in his sight according to the law. And so the law was given not only to teach us how to live, but to show us that we can't measure up to God's moral perfection, that we'll never obtain a relationship with him through obeying the law. But we'll see our own sin. And once we see our own sin... 
then this sacrifice of Jesus starts to make sense. When we realize that we're indebted to God, we'll begin to realize that we can never build a wall high enough. And this house of cards, guys, comes crashing down. It doesn't work. That's not how we get there. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the good news. Jesus made it possible for everyone to know God. Jesus Christ made it possible for everyone to know God. Listen to what he says in first. Now we're going to go to the book of First John. He, he, says it in, he said it in the Gospel of John. Now he says it in the book of, write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He, this is important, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's saying, listen, you can know God and have a relationship with him. You can be in right standing with him, not based on your righteousness, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the one who, who can bring us to the fathers. It is the actions of Jesus that make a relationship with God possible in Jesus alone. In fact, the scriptures say something very different than all this mess. They say something as simple as this, that God would lay a foundation on which we can stand, and it's Jesus Christ alone. There's only one block to be built, and it's, it's when Christ came and laid down his life for you and for me that we wouldn't take our stand on sinking sand of our own righteousness, that we would stand upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And because he is righteous, and by faith in him, I can be declared righteous by God. That is the good news. Do you believe it today? Amen. Give him praise. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. One sacrifice of Jesus is enough. The one sacrifice of Jesus is enough to replace all those good works you've been trying to please God with. His one act is enough. Look what he says in 1 John chapter 4. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. See, I want you to understand something. The reason Jesus Christ can't condemn us, God sent his son Jesus Christ in love because he wants a relationship with you and because he loved you so much. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the whole point of Jesus coming was that he would do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that where our good deeds fall short, his, his perfect sacrifice comes through. And I love this phrase. We've read it twice. In chapter 2 and chapter 4, he said, Jesus is an atoning sacrifice. So let's talk about what does that mean that Jesus is an atoning sacrifice? It's the Greek word halosmos. doesn't mean anything to you or me, does it? But it's the same word you used over and over again. It's really an important concept because it, it, it means this. It, it's an, making an acceptable payment for sin or specifically to appease the wrath of God towards sin. 
It's the same word used in in the book of Acts, the same Greek word uh, for the Day of Atonement. It's referencing a Jewish festival. They would do every year. They would come on the Day of Atonement and offer sacrifices for their sins, and they would have to offer a goat for the sins of the priest, and then have to offer a bull for for this sin and and another animal for that sin, and they would slaughter these animals, and that blood would be used as a covering, as an atonement. Atonement means covering, as as a passing off of the sin for another year. It's the same word used to describe the mercy seat. The mercy seat is that place on the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was put into the Holy of Holies place in the Jewish temple, and and you were only allowed, the, the high priest was only allowed to go in there one time a year in this day of atonement to take that precious blood that was the payment for their, the, their sins for that year, and he would pour the blood of that of that animal on the mercy seat, the top covering of, of, the, of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelled, and it would satisfy the wrath of God temporarily. They would make atonement. But see, where the blood of animals only covered sin and didn't remove sin, and where, and where the blood of animals could only postpone the wrath of God, what God is saying in Jesus Christ is that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins once and for all. Because the payment Jesus paid isn't like the blood of animals. It paid permanently the payment. The wrath of God longer covered sin. It eradicated sin. And it not only put off the wrath of God for another year, it satisfied the wrath of God. He's intentionally, intensely angry at our sin. But that anger was satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A couple examples of that. I want to just throw them out here. Uh, remember the Hunger Games? You guys all know the Hunger Games, right? The whole premise of that movie series is that there was a rebellion of the different districts and they rose up against the capital and the capital squashed the rebellion. And as punishment for their rebellion, they had to send two kids, right? Two, well, I forget what they call them, but two kids every, uh, tributes, two tributes every year uh, to these sp- blood sports that they would die as payment, as retribution, as wrath for their rebellion against the capital. That was a contemporary. I always used to use King Kong. Remember the old King Kong movie? Remember the old black and white King Kong? There is no other King Kongs. There is only the black and white King Kong. Sorry, I'm old school. I remember watching that as a kid and being terrified of King Kong. And the whole premise of King Kong was, obviously, he's this huge, like, gorilla beast out in the jungle in this village. I don't know why they didn't move, but they stayed right there by Kong, and they built their little village. And and so instead of Kong wrecking the village and killing everybody, they would set one poor sap out outside the walls of the city to be a sacrifice to appease the wrath of Kong. But see... Where the capital is a corrupt society and Kong is a destructive beast, righteousness towards anger, uh, his righteous anger towards sin. He's, he's righteous and just in that anger. 
we, we should get that. You and I get angry when we see sin happen, right? When someone we love is harmed by something evil, when we see someone that we love destroyed by something sinful and harmful by someone else, we get righteous indignation towards sin. How much more the heavenly Father who created us and loved us to live in unity with one another and in relationship with him, when he sees the destructiveness of sin, he goes, enough. And he's angry at it. So in love, God doesn't complain. God doesn't condemn. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, as a solution to the problem that you and I could be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ taking your penalty and my penalty. All the sins you've committed and I've committed were placed upon Christ upon a cross and he paid those and the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ because he loved us so much. And his perfect sacrifice removed our sins permanently, satisfying the wrath of God. And for those who respond in faith, you are brought into a relationship with God. It's really simple, isn't it? It makes me think of the thief on the cross. You guys know that story? As Jesus was being crucified, there were two thieves there among them, two, two people that were so nasty and wicked, they were getting the death penalty alongside Jesus. And one of them mocked Jesus and, 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 and complained to Jesus and was awful to Jesus. And the other guy started that way too. But somewhere along the way, he figured it out that Jesus was the son of the living God, the savior of the world, the one who could pay for his sins. And the reason we know that is he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus told him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Let me ask you something. How many of these blocks, how many of these good works had this, this thief had to offer God in that moment? What, what did he have to offer Jesus hanging upon a cross? Nothing. He had nothing but faith that Jesus was the one, the Savior of the world, and not just the Savior of the world, that he could be my Savior, forgive me from my sin, that in this dire moment of hanging upon a cross, that I could turn to Jesus and he could forgive me and I could be set free and I could live forever with him. That's the message of the good news. Can I ask you, do you know God by faith in Jesus Christ? It's the single greatest question I could ask you. Not trusting in yourself, not Jesus and something else, Jesus. And my foundation of my life, my foundation of my faith is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's where my faith lies. Jesus made it possible that everyone could know God. Isn't that good news? Not only did he do that, Jesus made it possible for every believer to know that they know God. Jesus made it possible for every believer to know that they know God. This is a great passage in 1 John chapter 5 that says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now listen to this, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe... What's the qualifier? You who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. I got some great news. If you're a believer in Christ, I got some great news for you this morning. That God wants you to know that you know that you're his. He wants you to know that you know that you are in relationship with him and nothing can change that. 
If you, if you wrestle with doubts about this, if you're in limbo, I can tell you this, you are not where God wants you to be. He wants you to understand that you have a security in him, that you can know that you know, that you belong to the living God. That's why God inspired John to write Jesus was and the spirit was and what right and wrong are and, and certainly about what their faith rests in. He says this, if you believe in Christ as the Savior of the world and you've received him for the forgiveness of your sins and the leader of your life, you can know and should know that eternal life is yours. It's a promise. And the Bible says it a lot of different ways. And throughout all of Scripture, and the same thing is true in 1 John, he says it several different ways in the book of 1 John. He says things like this. That, that if you have Jesus in your life, you are born again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you and I are dead in our transgressions and sin, that our body is alive, but there's something inside of us that is dead and broken until Jesus Christ comes in. And when he comes in, he makes you alive on the inside. And this part that wants to commune with God but can't seem to do it is now alive and can commune with God. He said, you're born again. That sounds awfully complete and final, doesn't it? There's no getting unborn again. He says it this way in chapter 3. He says, if you have Jesus in your life, that you are now a child of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that, that we should be called children of God of God. What did we do to earn that? Nothing. What did God do to, for us to get there? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that he would take away not only our sins, but the sin of the whole world, that you and I can be ushered into the family of God. We are adopted as sons and daughters, and when he says, you are now mine and in my family, there is nothing in scripture that says I could ever kick you it's final. It's complete. It's a promise. These are statements that you and I can hang our hat on, that if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we can know and we should know for certain that our standing before God is secure today and for forever. My favorite verse about this lately has been John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my and your works that got you into a right standing with God. So it's not you and your works that keeps you in a right standing with God. If it's by grace through Jesus Christ, if it's simply by faith in Jesus Christ, then we can't add anything to it and we can't take anything away from it. That we are secure people in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, you can know that you know God. Can I ask you, do you know that? Is that a promise that you've laid down as a foundation in your life? Are you still waffling in doubt and insecurity and wondering, well, I messed up today, God, so am I still part of the family? Or, or God, I had a, I've had a bad attitude lately, so am I kicked out of this? No. You didn't get in because of how you acted. So you don't stay in based on how you act. It's by grace. 
You know what we need to do with that? We need to take God at his word. We need to begin to trust the promise of God that if he says it's true, we can trust it more than we trust our own circumstances and more than we trust our own feelings and more than we trust our own performance that we might feel like, oh man, I'm having a bad day, so, so maybe I'm not you know, in right standing with God. Listen, God says, you're mine. You're mine. Now, do I want you to behave yourself? Of course. Do I want you to obey my commandments? Of course. Do I want you to grow in holiness? Of course. Do I want you to continue on in Christ Jesus and live for me? Of course. Do I want the, more of these uh, fruits of the Spirit to be evident in your life? Of course. But your standing with me isn't based on those things. It's based on my finished work upon a cross. Can I tell you something, guys? That is good news. Because if we could lose it, we'd lose it. If it was up to us, we'd lose it. But Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Look it up, First John, or John 10, 29. The Father's got to do. Last question I want to wrestle with with you is, you probably thought this or heard people say, what about those who've never heard this message? If it's so simple and if this is God's plan and, and this is the, the way that people can have a relationship with God, what, what about those that have never heard this message? It's a good question. But I think that question oftentimes is asked as an indictment upon God himself. And I don't think that's fair. And here's why. I really think it's an indictment on the church. On those of us who know God and know that we know God, listen, God says, it is you that I'm counting on to take this message to others. It is you that I've asked to go and be my messengers to the world. Jesus died not only for our sins, he said, but for the sins of the whole world. Do you know what that means? Until the whole world has heard, until the whole world knows, you and I are people who are sent with this simple message that in the name of Jesus Christ, people can be brought back from the dead and become to, come into new life in Jesus Christ. That the simple message that Jesus will pay has paid for your sins, and that there's a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you is our message. You know what his plan is? He says that now that you know me, you go tell others about me. Now that you know me, go tell others about you. That is my plan, and there is no plan B. See, Jesus made it a privilege of every believer to help others know God. He made it the privilege of every believer to help other, other people know God. I'm always amazed when I go to Chick-fil-A at the attitude of the people that work there. And I thank you, and what do they say? Too much. You ever had this conversation? You're like, oh, thank you, and what do they say? My pleasure. And then you say, oh, thanks again, and what do they say? My pleasure. And then about the fourth time, they say it, but they don't really mean it. Oh, my pleasure. Just go away, dude. Stop saying thank you. I have to say my pleasure. But most of the time, I really think they believe it is my pleasure to serve you. And I wonder, why isn't that our attitude when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ, that it is our great honor to introduce people to Jesus, this one who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, this one that loved us so much that, that he, he came into our life and gave us new life. 
Man, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's good news, man. We don't have to work for it. You don't, have, you don't have to do all this stuff and then maybe, just maybe, you'll stack up and be good enough. No, there's great news that Jesus made a way that you will humble yourself and confess your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, that you can have life in him. Man, it is our privilege to tell others. So I was getting all these boxes um, yesterday at, a, at one of the stores around here and a young gal was helping me and um, I, I could tell she was thinking it what is he doing all these boxes what are you doing dude and uh, I was like you know what you're helping me with an illustration I'm using tomorrow and all these boxes are going to represent different good works that we can do. And people think that if you do it with God, but I'm going to show that and not do this, but you do do this, that you can earn God's favor and have a relationship with God. But I'm going to show that that isn't true, that there's just going to be one box that has the name of Jesus. And that if we put our faith in Christ, that he was the Savior who would come. He can forgive us of our sins. And he actually works with some people that, she works with someone that works here, that is here today. And I said, I don't know if they've ever invited you to our church, but you can come. I would love for you to come. She said, oh, no, thank you. So I got somebody to pray for, don't I? She needs to know. She needs to know. There's a God who loves her, and he laid down his life for her. He said, I can't reach the whole world. That's right, but we can reach our world. We can reach our world. What if it was a regular thing here at our church that a leader had someone come up to them and say, man, I've got somebody in my life that's interested in Jesus and I need to be taught and trained. To, what do I say to them? How do I lead them to faith in you? What if it was a regular thing that people kept coming up and saying, man, you got to teach me how to do this because I got somebody I'm trying to lead to Jesus. What, what if that was a regular thing? What if it was a regular thing that in our conversations, they say, what can you pray for? You say, man, there's this person at work or there's this gal in my neighborhood and, and man, I'm just dying for her to, them to know Jesus. And if you'll just pray for this person that they'll come to saving faith in God. What if that was a regular thing? What if it was a regular thing to walk in on a Sunday morning and Eric goes, hey, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. This is somebody I just led to Jesus and he's a new follower of Jesus. What if that was a regular thing? What if it was a regular thing that on Sunday morning this water was warm and filled up and there was people like Eric and other people standing behind there baptizing friends and family into the faith, making a public profession of their faith in Jesus? What if that was a regular thing? I'll tell you one thing, it'd be amazing. It'd be awesome. It'd be what God wants. Can I just make a challenge to us as a church? If you know God and you know that you know him, listen, this third piece is for you. It's for you. Let's make it hard for people we know. Let's make it hard for people in this community, apart from God, to end up in hell. Because we go with the message of Jesus. You say, I don't know where to start. If that's a kind of a new thing for you and you're like, how do I take a baby step towards this? Can I challenge you to start a list if it's one person on your list and you pray for that person you don't know about their faith and you pray every day that God would open their heart to the good news. And every day you'll pray for an opportunity to tell them about the good news. And every day you'll pray that that God would become a reality in their life and they would know God in a personal 
way. That's where you can start. So I'm going to ask everybody if we'll bow our heads, give us a few applications to this message. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you're just being as honest as you can be, whether you've had your faith in another religion or your own good works or you've been putting off this decision about knowing God through Jesus Christ, this morning I want to urge you not to put it off anymore. To receive Jesus as the Savior, your Savior today. Your good works aren't the ticket and there's no other name under heaven by what that God has been given by which you can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Don't trust your eternity, your life, your standing with God to anything other than the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, if this is your decision, this is so important. Nobody's moving. Everybody's praying that other people in this place, if they don't know God, will know God. Just open up your heart to Jesus. You can trust him. If you want to pray to God, something like this. You can make it your own words, but God, I, I recognize today that my good works aren't good enough. That there's things in my life that condemn me before you. And I can't be good enough. I realize that today. And so I'm turning to Jesus as my only hope. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he paid for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And I'm asking him to come into my life because he's the living God. That he would forgive me and lead me in a relationship with my heavenly father. Man, if that's your prayer this morning, that is the single greatest decision you could ever make. And God says, welcome to the family. I've wanted this from day one. Welcome home. I love you. You're mine. I got you. If you've been a believer for a while, but you've wrestled with doubts and insecurities about your faith, and and today you just need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to let my fear and my doubt and my worry and my sin and my selfishness dictate my standing before God. Those are not what keeps me right with God. Today, I'm going to stand on the promise of God. And I'm going to choose to believe those things, whether I feel them or not. The reality is I've been given eternal life and I will never perish. No one will snatch me out of the hand of Jesus. And today I believe that, God. I'm gonna stake my claim on that today, God. I'm gonna let that be a foundation in my life. And listen, if you're one of the ones that know God and know that you know him, make it your privilege to help others know him. Pray for that lost person. Pray every day for an opportunity. Be bold about your faith. Tell other people the good news. I get to tell others about you. And I want to be used by you to help others come to know you. God, not for my glory, for yours. Maybe you need to make a 
a declaration to God today. So I'm going to pray every day this week. I'm going to build a habit in my life. I'm going to pray for that person that I'm not sure where they're going to end up. I'm going to pray, God, for that person. God, thank you for the clarity of what it means to have faith in Jesus. Thank you for sending your son that we can know you in Jesus' name.